Okay. There's a lot in there, isn't there? It's packed. So what do we learn about being a disciple? First, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That goes for the disciples, but that also goes for us. Secondly, I have appointed you, and this is the Amplified Bible, I have planted you. So that's the second thing we learn is that we've been appointed and planted by God. Wherever you are, God's planted you there that you might go and bear fruit. And so you're chosen, you've been appointed or planted for the purpose that you might go bear fruit and keep on bearing fruit, that your fruit may be lasting, that it may remain, abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, so there's another thing, you've been chosen, you've been appointed or planted for the purpose of going to bear fruit and to keep on bearing fruit, and that your fruit may be lasting, that it may remain, abide, and, and then so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that is, as, represent, as presenting all that I am. So when you ask in Jesus' name, that's what that means. That means all that Jesus is, you're asking God in his name. So when we say in the name of Jesus, man, there's power behind that name because it, 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 it evokes everything that he is. Now, the ancients would understand this because, because they would enter into a covenant. They'd call on the name of their God. And so they'd say, in the name of Zeus, I enter into this covenant. And they're, they're bringing God into the covenant. Um, you know, we do this in the marriage ceremony where we say, you know, I promise before God and man, so help me God. What are we doing? You know, I'm promising before you, God, that I'll keep my end of the deal, regardless of what happens with my spouse. All right. So what else do you see? What else does it say about being a disciple? Just uh, get, let me know and I'll repeat it so everybody can hear it. What's that? Love one another. OK, and this is what I command. So disciples are commanded to love one another. I mean, isn't that cool? That's the body of Christ. The body of Christ is supposed to love one another. Any, anything else? What else do you see about being a disciple? Persecuted? Yep. I see that conditional if, like it says in verse 18, if the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you belong to the world, the world will treat you with affection and love you as its own. And there's a contrast. But because you are not of the world, that is no longer one with it. For, let me ask you a question. What does it mean to be one with the world? What does that mean? First of all, what is the world? I mean, we're all on planet Earth, so he's not talking about that. To be of the world or in the world me means to be... Worldly, it means to be live in sin. It means to live in the flesh. It means to kind of do life your way, to go your own way, and to, to kind of uh, live life apart from God, independence from God. That's the world, the philosophies of the world. The world is a system. Uh, uh, Satan is the ruler of this world, a small r, not capital K-I-N-G. He's the, he's the ruler of this world. Uh, the philosophies, the, 
the theories, the, the PowerPoints of the world, money. Uh, um, uh, not that those things in and of themselves are evil, but Satan, the ruler of this world, the god of this age, takes those things and perverts them. Music, anything that's an influential point against humanity, he takes it and perverts it. Religion, he takes it and perverts that, okay? So, but, so Christ says, you're not of this world. That's not you. See, you at one time were of the world. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses, but you are not anymore because you've been born again. You've been brought out of the world, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. This is who you used to be, but this is not who you are anymore. See, there's a, you, you entered into the dimension of the spirit, and what, what once was dead to you is now alive to you. What once ne- meant nothing to you means everything to you. What once you could care less about, now every, it means everything to you. You care about with everything you have. That's, that's being born again. That's living in this dimension. That's being a new creation. That's why Jesus said you had to be born again. And, of course, Nicodemus says, well, what do you, I'm like, okay, time out. What do you mean born again? How can a man be born again? And he wasn't talking about literally. He was saying the new birth, this experience of coming out of the world and into the spirit is like being born. It's like coming out of the womb and into the world. It's like coming out of the world and into the spirit and into Christ. So it's a whole new realm. It's a whole new world. It really is, Uh, which is a very popular Graduation song. Probably don't do it anymore. But uh, Anyway, so what else do we learn? Okay, you're not of this world. You're, not, you're no longer one with it. You've been chosen out of the world. And then it says that the world hates you. What else do you see about, about being a disciple there? Okay, you're a servant. We are servants of the master, and we're not greater than him. <laughs> We're not greater than him. And so, essentially, if they persecuted the master, don't be surprised when you are persecuted. And he says, if they would have kept my word and obeyed my teachings, they will also, uh, uh, they would have kept and obey yours. Okay, so look at the contrast in verse 7. So, you understand the two dimensions. There are two kinds of people in the world. Okay, and it has nothing to do with skin color, has nothing, nothing to do with economics, has nothing to do with culture, has nothing to do with tribes. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are in the world, and there are those who are in the spirit. There are those who are in Adam, which is our uh, gene- genealogical. In other words, we trace our genealogy to Adam and Eve. And you are either in Adam or you're in the second Adam, Christ. Adam sinned. Jesus came to fix what Adam did. Uh, That's why he's called the second Adam. He's not the first person ever born, but he is God who came in the flesh so that we would live in this dimension. Those are the only two kinds of people. Now, now, there's all kinds of lines that are drawn, even in the church, unfortunately. There are economic lines. There are uh, uh, denominational lines. There are, there are, there's, I mean, politics divides people. Uh, I, I personally, this is just me personally, I do not like the phrase African-American. I don't like it. I won't use it because what does that make me? I'm an African-German-American. Won't go there. Now, last night I was at a wedding with African-Americans. Them brothers are from Sudan and they're Americans. They're African-Americans. That's just me. That's just me. I'm not, I'm not a hater. I don't, 
I mean, I'm, I, what does that make me? I mean, wh- I mean, if you're like mixed, what do you? Do I get a category too? I don't like categories, because there's only two kinds of people: <laughs> those who are in Christ, and those who are not. That's it. That's it. I don't need a category. I don't need to be tagged by my race. You know, most of us don't know what we are anyway. You know, I mean, we're all immigrants. I mean, if you're a Native American, you're a true American because you were here before everybody else got here. Anyway, that's my little spiel about that. (laughs) Persecution. Look at the contrast, verse 17 and 18. Verse 17, this is what I command you, that you love one another. And then if the world hates. Did you see the two? Love. Here's, here's, Here's a commandment, church. Love one another. That's not an option. And that's not just loving those that look like you and act like you and come from where you come from. The church is to be is to lead the way in loving one another so that people who don't belong to the body of Christ will look and say those people truly love one another. Okay. Love one another, the world will hate you. What does Jesus say about suffering? What does he say about suffering? In that, those scriptures there. What does he say? Well, the world hates. And they hated him. So they will hate us. And we're going to see why in just a little bit. Do you think most Christians expect to suffer? Maybe some yes, some no. Depends on where you live. I promise you, if you live in Iraq right now, you expect to suffer. (laughs) Right? If you live in America, mm, all depends. Maybe. We saw some people who uh, 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 have been reading about people who uh, own a bake shop in Oregon. And there was a, a homosexual couple that came in. They refused to bake a cake for them because that's against my religious principle. And they got fined 135 grand. And they're like, oh, okay, you're trying to shut us down, huh? But they're holding to their convictions, their religious convictions. And that's going to go to court. Someone's going to decide whether or not the government can force people to violate their religious conviction. Um. So they're being hated by an entire group of people in this, Ameri- in this land because they refuse to bake a cake. Now, you know, whether that's right or wrong is not the story. The story is they're being persecuted because of it. I mean, I don't know. They, they, are, they said they've been amazed that, like, people are supporting their cause and paying the fine, you know. And then, and then you know, lawyers are involved, and now it's, it's crazy. But don't be surprised by that. Um, why do you, like, why do you think most Christians don't, for the many Christians may not expect to suffer. Why not? Most Christians probably don't expect to suffer. Americans, us here in Las Vegas, you know, when you became a follower of Christ, did, were, did someone say to you, before you say yes, understand, this may cost you, this is going to cost you something? Because if it's, if it doesn't cost you something, what value is it? Salvation's free, but it wasn't free. Jesus paid for us. So if, it's, if it costs me nothing, that King David said, I'm not going to offer anything to you, God, that costs me nothing. 
right? So there's a cost involved. Maybe that wasn't explained. You get a little bit older in Christ, you start experiencing some things, you have to start sacrificing some things. Maybe sometimes you tell someone the truth in love and they don't want to hear it and they get in your face or they get mad at you or they don't want to talk to you. Maybe it's a family member sometimes. I came across this quote uh, today, uh, the words of William Borden, who gave his life for Jesus on the mission field. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Oh, man, that's a plaque in my office. It is. I got to have that. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Well, you've been chosen to bear fruit. You've been chosen to love one another, and you've been chosen to be hated. So here's the question. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. Does that mean you you can't have a good reputation? No. That means that if you preach the gospel and if you love hard, that eventually someone's not going to like you. Someone's going to hate you for some reason. Yep, that's true. That's true. So beware when all men speak well of you. Are you speaking the truth in love? So let's talk about the comforter. I'm excited about this. This is, this is good. I think it is anyway. Um, the comforter. John chapter 15, verse 26. And I think I, I think I circled like 12 or 13 things in the first two verses. I'd like you to go through and circle everything it tells you about the comforter. Okay, circle it and then count it. And let me, I, have, I have like 12, but I lost track of my circles because I had so many circles. So this is two verses, and this is the Amplified Bible, but tell, t- circle everything that you see about the Comforter, and I'm going to show you this vi- video about, right here, Miriam Ibrahim. Day, to be able to sit down here in the United States of America with Miriam Ibrahim. Thank you for being with us and taking time to talk about your experience. Uh, first question for you. What went through your mind when you were arrested and found out what you were going to be charged with? And what was that experience like? What were you thinking when that happened? did uh, then. It was very difficult, and it was a shock. I was living a normal life. Never thought one day that anything like this could happen. Did you believe at any point that this was some kind of test of your faith, that this was, uh, you know, we read about it in our Bible, that normal people, people who are not necessarily on the street corners and shouting out and trying to cause trouble, we all will experience tests of our faith, some much more extreme than others. And yours was as extreme as anything we read about in the New Testament. So to you, was it, was it uh, directly, did you feel like it was a kind of a test or a test of your faith? Absolutely. It was, a, it was truly a test of faith. What, what was it like uh, when you heard what the, charge, what the charges were and what the penalties could be, the death by hanging and the hundred lashes? And not only that, 
but being in prison, having your son imprisoned with you, who was just an infant at the time. It was very, very trying, yeah. absolutely. Even after these charges and you're convicted, you're ultimately convicted in the, the criminal court uh, for both uh, the apostasy and adultery, and they wanted to make your marriage null and void, they give you an opportunity to leave the Christian faith and walk free. And, and these three chances, and sheiks come and visit day by day, say, we'll give you these many days, and if you renounce your faith, you're a free person. You go back to your life, go back to your family, go back to your business. And what was it like dealing with that kind of pressure, knowing that if your conviction was upheld, uh, your children would be taken from their father and wouldn't have a, a mother? Even though this was happening to me, and I took on Islam, I would still have uh, problems, and I would still go through court proceedings. And both Daniel and I, they would probably prosecute us both. And also ta take 100 stripes. Right, that wouldn't have been taken away. And then after that, they would have to go through that marriage, the court marriage, to make whatever she said valid. So knowing all this and having that opportunity to renounce your faith, your faith played an important role. Did you feel prayers from people around the world when your story did you know about how widespread your story had become around the world that there were world leaders and big superpower governments calling for Sudan to release you and lots of Christians around the world praying for you calling for your release elected officials and people who weren't even Christians who just knew this was wrong under human rights did you did you know about that happening in while you were in prison and could you Feel the prayers. It was difficult for me to get any information of any nature. Even after it became uh, known worldwide. But before that, things were rather normal. The people that are within the, were within the system, they'd always tell me, do you want to die? And they would always tell me, it's better that you renounce and get back in with Islam. And that was something I would not do. Like that last part, she said, that's just something I would not do. She actually had a child in prison. She had her, her boy uh, was there with her, and then she actually had a child in prison as well. Um, amazing story, Miriam Ibrahim. So what do we learn about the comforter? And there's a reason that I showed this video as well. Tell me what you, what you, um, what did you uh, uh, learn? What, what kind of names, uh, what did you circle? What is it? Counselor, what else? Helper. Intercessor, advocate. 
strengthener, spirit of truth, stand by, stand by. <laughs> That's a good one. What? Uh, the holy, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. What else? Comes from the Father. And what else does he do? Spirit of truth testifies regarding Jesus. Okay? All right. When the comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, I love the Amplified Bible. Get you one. Get the app if you don't have it. Comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby, comes whom I will send to you from the Father. Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit, but he comes from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who comes, that is, proceeds from the Father, he himself will testify regarding me. But you also will testify and be my witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. So, all right. Um, <clears throat> Hang on. Okay. So the Holy Spirit speaks regarding whom? Regarding Jesus. And in verse 27, what does he tell the disciples to do? What does it say? Testify and be my witnesses. All right. So more on the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, Counselor, stand by on John chapter uh, 16, verse 27. Um. Would you circle in those verses, six, uh, verse 7 through 15, everything you learn about the Holy Spirit, comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby. Circle everything you learn. Comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby, comes to you. Jesus said, I will send him to be in close fellowship with you. Verse 8, when he comes, so at that point he hadn't came, but he was coming. What will he do? Verse 8. Convict, convince the world, and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. Down to verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, the spirit giving truth comes, what will he do? Guide you into all the truth, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth, the full truth. He will not speak his own message, but he will tell whatever he hears from the Father. And he'll give the message that has been given to him. And he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. And what else will he do? Verse 14. He will what? Honor and glorify whom? Jesus. Why? Because he will take of, receive, draw from what is mine and reveal it 
declare, disclose, transmitted to you. I like that. The Holy Spirit will take, will draw from Jesus and transmit it to you. The Holy Spirit will draw from Jesus and transmit it to you. Verse 15, everything that the Father has is mine, Jesus says. We're going to get on that one. That is what I meant when I said that he, the Spirit, will take the things that are mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. All right. Now, I have a question for you. This is serious. Jesus says it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Stop. Put yourself in the, in the sandals of the disciples. You've been walking with Jesus for three years, three-plus years. You've seen him raise the dead, blind eyes open, deaf hear. I mean, you've seen... You've seen him create food for 5,000 plus, 3,000 plus. It's been an amazing ride. And then he says this. He says, it is good for you that I go away. It's good for you that I go away. No, no, it's not good that you go away. It's good that you stay here with us. This is awesome. Who would want that discipleship course to ever come to an end? If you had a class you could take and Jesus was your teacher, you would not want that class to end. No, we have so much more to learn. There's so much more to do. So let me ask you this question. Why was it better for Jesus to go away? Because he, he, would, he could not stay and not take on our sins. Why else? When he leaves, the comforter would come. Note this. Jesus says, that will be better for you. No, no way. That's what he said. He said it will be better for you. Why would it be better? Because he's living on the inside. Better? Holy Spirit will guide, protect, teach you. Jesus Jesus on earth can only be one place at one time. Now he's everywhere. He had to go away. Right? What else? That's awesome. Good. What else? A couple of things. I, go ahead. Jesus is interceding on our behalf from heaven. And the word said that he had to go. It wasn't his mission to stay here forever in bodily form. I kind of take it this way. The earth can't handle all of God at one time. Before there was creation, I believe that God the Father spoke it. Uh, uh, I believe that, that Jesus, who was there at the beginning, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. That was like all of God together. Jesus gets baptized. There's Jesus, the God-man, and then you hear a voice from heaven, and then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. I mean, so we got glimpses, right? We didn't get it all because I don't think the earth can handle all of God. And so within the Godhead, there's structure and responsibility. And the ministry of Jesus wasn't meant for him to be on earth forever. It was meant for him to leave and for the Holy Spirit to come. That's why he told the apostles, go to Jerusalem and wait before you go out and minister because you need the Holy Spirit. All right? So it was better for Jesus to go away 
because now Jesus can be with every believer all the time. He said in Matthew 18, 28, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He couldn't have said that if he was living in Jerusalem. Okay? Um, if Jesus were present bodily on this earth, there would be no end to his words. If he came 2,000 years ago and was still on earth, the, all the books of the world could not have contained everything that he would be saying or doing, right? It would have been too much for all of us. I mean, like 2,000 years of writing from the same guy, Jesus, who's God, all right? It's hard enough to, to grasp hold of the Bible, much less. You know, and, and well, I think it's Paul, it Peter who said, or someone said that all the writings of the world couldn't contain all the miracles that Jesus did. So here's another thing. Now we have a more trusting relationship with him because he's not here. If Jesus were in bodily form on the earth, it would be a great challenge to walk in faith because he's here. He's in Jerusalem or wherever. Paul said, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. And if Jesus were here, we'd be walking by sight and not by faith. And don't you get a better feel for Jesus's ministry because he's in the heavens? If Jesus were still here on earth, it'd be a little confusing, wouldn't it be, in bodily form? I mean, would he be suffering anymore if he was here on earth? No, because his suffering ended at the cross. So there's no more need for atonement because he already did it all. Well, would we see him as the one who suffered or would our focus be on him who's here and now? We might just focus on him and say, oh, yeah, that's right. He suffered, but he's here. Would it be hard for us to see a savior, a savior who never suffered when we're in distress? He cares. We might see him as unsympathetic if he was in Jerusalem, but we couldn't get to him. Look at the disciples before Jesus left. Confused, hard-headed, afraid, selfish, self-centered. Look at them after he left, after the helper came. Wise, surrendered, bold, 100% full on. Here's another thing I wrote down. It was better for Jesus to go away because he showed the ultimate way of discipleship. We've been studying discipleship. And we know that one of the goals of the teacher was to train up the student who would then go out and continue and multiply the work of the teacher. This is the ultimate example. He showed the ultimate way to disciple by leaving. Um, uh, he showed us how to multiply putting people in a position where they have to rely on the Holy Spirit for guidance by faith. That is the ultimate act of discipleship, is to put people in situations where they must rely not on you, the teacher, but after you've instructed them and after you've taught them, you put them in situations where they have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And thus they grow and they learn. That's the ultimate example. Because if Jesus wouldn't have left, they just would have kept looking to him. Okay, what next, Jesus? No, he's gone. Now we have to, by faith, as the Holy Spirit guides us, be led. Ah. And what will the comforter do? He will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin. He will convict 
he, the Holy Spirit will convict. You know, when I first heard the message of Christ, I mean, the, the, the gospel, when it, was, when it was presented to me in a way that I could understand, there was conviction. I wasn't sure that that's what it was, but I, I sensed for the first time in my life my distance from God and my gap and my sin. That was the Holy Spirit who was convicting me. He convicts and convinces the world and brings a demonstration about sin. Someone said sin is the truth about man. Verse 9 says about sin because they do not believe in me. They don't trust and rely on and adhere to me. So the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us about the fact that we don't really believe in Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit convicting you, you would not come to Christ. He convicts us and gives demonstration and convinces us about righteousness. So sin is the truth about man. Righteousness is the uprightness of heart or right standing with God. Righteousness is the truth about God. So the Holy Spirit convicts us about ourselves, and then he tells us the truth about God, about righteousness, uprightness of heart, right standing with God. Because I go to the Father, you'll see me no longer. And then so he convicts us about sin and about judgment and about uh, sin and righteousness and judgment. And judgment is the combination of, of sin, our sin, and God's righteousness. We get that wrong, there's judgment. It's the combination of those, those two truths. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So he convicts because we cannot come to an understanding of sin, righteousness, and judgment apart from the Holy Spirit. This is what happened when Jesus was on earth. They judged, they, they, they regarded Jesus a sinner. They regarded themselves as righteous and ended up falsely judging Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They, they considered the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When they do to Jesus, they called him a sinner. They called themselves righteous. And then they falsely judged him. They had it all backwards. <laughs> wow. And then it says this, he will guide us into all truth. Notice what Jesus says. Um, I'm telling you the truth. I'm going to go away because I'm going to come for a long time. Um, I don't know if it's here or the other scripture where he says, um, oh, I have much to say to you. Where is that? Second page. Okay. Where, where is it? I'm missing it. What is it? Ah, uh, yeah, there it is. Verse 12. I have still many. Now, now, now this is Jesus speaking to the three years of constant discipleship. And here's what he says. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, um, but you are not able to hear them or take them in upon you or grasp them now. Verse 13, but when, this, when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth, the whole full truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but the things, okay. So, so that's an important thing uh, to notice that, that he convicts us. And he guides us into all truth. Jesus says that his teaching was not, 
three years. And Jesus says, I'm not done yet. Woo! This is not three years of going to class once a week. This is three years every day. And he goes, I got a lot more to say, but you can't handle it. What? What else do you have to say? There's so much more that needs to be said, right? He couldn't teach them some of these things because some of them would need to be what? Taught by the Holy Spirit. Some of them would need to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Let me just say to, the, to this to you, that if Jesus could not teach everything to the disciples, then what makes us think any man or woman can teach us everything we need to know about God? They cannot. Because they must come from the Holy Spirit. So can you say New Testament? New Testament. There's much more to say, but not now. And then after Acts chapter 2, essentially the birth of the church, we have the rest of the Bible. Oh, there's the other part. See, Acts is really not about uh, the apostles. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's not the Acts of the apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. All right. If you were with us on Thursday night, you would know that. But anyway. Um. And then it says this, he will honor and glorify me. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. Because he says he will take of, receive, draw upon what is mine and will reveal, declose, d declare, disclose, transmit it to you. Can I say this to you? That everything we get about Jesus and about God, we get from the Holy Spirit right now. Oh, we get it from his word. We get it from his word. But when you hear the voice of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. When you have a prompting in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. When, when, when you feel led to tell someone about Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. When someone comes into your mind and you think, man, I, I need to pray for that, that's the Holy Spirit. All that we receive from Jesus, salvation is from the Lord, but all that we receive in this daily walk is from the Holy Spirit, bringing us into alignment with the word of Jesus and God the Father. Everything. And Jesus had to go away for all of that to happen. Look at verse 15. This is amazing. Now, what does God the Father have? God the Father has what? Everything. Wait a minute. Everything? Everything. The, earth's is, the earth is the Lord's, and it's, it's all God's. All of it. Earth, the heavens, under the earth. He created it all. I, it's not perfect. It was created perfect, but man messed it up. One day it will be perfect again, but it's all his. The earth is the Lord's. All of it. Okay? Now, can anybody contain all of God? All of God. No. Look at what Jesus says. That tells you Jesus is unique. Because Jesus says, everything that the Father has is mine. What? <laughs> what mere man could say that? What mere angel could say that? What spirit could say that? All of the Father has is Jesus's? That's impossible unless he is equal with Jesus. Unless he is of the same um, nature 
as as God is. Everything that the Father has is mine, and we go, ooh, that's awesome, right? Someone says, well, Jesus was just a prophet. No prophet had everything of God. Well, Jesus was just a messenger. No messenger had all of God. Well, Jesus was just a man. No man could contain all of God. No way. It's impossible because he's infinite. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. And Jesus said, it's all mine. But that is what I meant when I said that he, the spirit, will take the things of mine. What are the things of mine? The things of Jesus are the things of God. The things of Jesus is everything of God. And he says, he, the spirit, will take the things of mine, which are the things of God, which is everything, and will reveal, declare, disclose, and transmit it to you. Well, that's called access. You need wisdom? Ask the Holy Spirit. He will speak. He will guide in his own way. Need to hear a word from the Lord? Need direction? Seek the Lord. We saw Sunday how God spoke to a fish. He can certainly speak to his people. May we hear. May we hear. Um, So a part of this whole cost of discipleship is hearing the voice of God and understanding um, the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit. We just scratched the surface. In the beginning, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. There was confusion. God the Father said, let there be light. Jesus is the light of the world. There was order. God speaking, Jesus the light of the world, and the Holy Spirit hovering. And there was light, matter, energy created like that. Boom. Ah, awesome. Okay, so um, God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Give us ears to hear what your word is saying. Lord, we are so deaf sometimes. Give us ears to hear that still, small voice. And I guess if we had to err, let us err toward that voice and not our own. Thank you, Jesus. This is amazing that it would be better, that we live in the time of better. People say, oh, I wish I was around when Jesus was. Uh, Jesus said it's better now. And so, God, help us to be your representatives and to live that life for your glory. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. Reveal Jesus to us. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. It is... By presenting all that you are, Jesus, to God the Father, that we ask these things. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Nice to uh, share with you.
Awesome. All right, sit down, please. I'm excited to be here. My name is Michael Jr. I'm going to do some jokes. I love Gateway Church. If I lived in Dallas, this is the church that I would go to. Like, for real. I love this church. Um, just so happens.